0: By the powers vested in me by the Federal Communications Commission, I command you to get on the microphone in a serious manner and continue this broadcast. Turn it
1: up. Uh-oh, werewolves of London. Ow. Draw blood. Somebody taught me that once and just broke my heart because I love both those songs. I mean, it's, uh, "Sweet Home Alabama" is, is American icon. It's it's they call it canon, right? The American songbook. It's hard to find any example of southern rock better than this song right here. And then there's Warren Zevon. Which key for? I, I got to know <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome to Cairo Nights. I'm Punchy Drunk. Um, and with me tonight, of course, Matt Butler. How you doing, buddy? I am doing good. Uh, I barely recognize you anymore.
0: <laughs> this business changes this so business fast. This business
1: changes so fast. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, if you haven't heard, I've been here since uh, last Thursday. I think without leaving. Feels like that sometimes. No, it's it was it's an honor to sit in this chair from twelve to three. Jack Stein and I are are getting the opportunity to. Uh, communicate with the the 12 to 3 audience, the Cairo Midday audience. And then our dear friend John Curley has got some bug. He's had a wild weekend, raising money for little kids. Uh, Talk about bad habits. Anyway, John uh, got himself just sick as a dog, working too hard, burning the candle at both ends, and John couldn't come in. And, you know, we're a little pressed around here, if you might have noticed, you know. So they asked me if I could sit in John's chair with Sherry this afternoon, and I was thrilled and happy to do that. But I haven't seen you, Matt, since last Wednesday. Right? It's been yeah, almost it's a week been, since you and yeah, I got almost to work together. A week.
0: Which, when you work together with someone at you know at the same time every day during the week for a long enough period of time, it just feels weird when you don't.
1: You're my work wife. I hate to be the guy to break it to you, buddy. Bad news for you. You're my work wife.
0: I hope Sherry wasn't too heartbroken.
1: I know. I, I felt bad. Like right, claiming up Sherry as my work wife, and John's at home going like, oh, "Wait a minute." <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, it's all good. We're actually gonna tonight we're gonna play a little bit of tape back from this afternoon show, from the midday show, and from the John Crowley and Sherry Ellicker show. But first we're gonna spend I didn't want to do this without spending a little time with my man Matt Butler. So uh, it's been a really good weekend. I hope you guys had a good weekend here in Seattle. I spent a lot of time watching people in costumes in complete denial of reality. And it, no, I'm not talking about CPAC. I'm, ta- <laughs> I'm talking I'm <laughs> although there was plenty of both of those things. At CPAC this weekend. I'm talking about Comic Con. My my youngest child is still um, the magic of Comic Con and Imagination still has my younger child by by the short. I mean she's got it by the got it by the shorts. She loves Comic Con. They her and her friends dressed up, um, you know, spent days preparing their costumes to go down there and just revel in all things imagination, all things in creativity. If, if you haven't ever been to Comic-Con in Seattle, the Emerald City Comic-Con, I think it was their 20th anniversary. It's, it's getting pretty close to their 20th anniversary. And I know all things anniversary-wise have been kind of kicked in the shorts a little bit because of COVID shut things down for a while. But Comic-Con returned last year, and they're back this year at the new convention center. And, the, and watching people be able to enjoy... Their hobbies and their passions, their obsessions. <laughs> Some people they're just really a little too far into it. But watching those people enjoy their life, their hobbies, their passions, and it's, it was just a wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to watch a fifty-some-year-old guy dressed up like a turtle or a wizard or chubby Spider-Man, whatever your costume choice is. Watching these guys get down there and and revel in each other's passion for. For the comic book art and illustration in general, TV show, whatever, whatever your favorite thing is, if it's in the realm of fantasy or you know whatever, it's it's there waiting for you at Comic Con. And seeing my daughter and her friends dress up um, and get down there and just embrace their their youth, it was a magical thing to see. It really was. Seattle does a great job. With Comic-Con, it brings like $16.5 million into the city every year when it comes. So it was really great to see it get back to a sense of normalcy and come in and not be restricted to how many people they can let in. Your your costume doesn't have to include a mask this year, which you can believe some of the creative uses of masks during the COVID uh, melding of Comic-Con. I remember my daughter at one point was uh, was comic Conning, and it was a genius solution, Matt, and um, she went as Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror. Um, and she was able to do the Rocky Horror Lips on her, her N95 mask to solve the Comic-Con and masking requirements problem. It's just, I, I love creativity. I love celebrating creativity. It's nice to see some people just embrace their inner demon, their inner wizard, their inner sex pot. Some of the women who go to Comic-Con who dress up in their favorite fantasy character, superhero character, Sailor Moon character, whatever. I don't mean to be that, you know, hey, Aqualung kind of guy. But some of these ladies really embrace their sexuality and they own it. And it's empowering. And just because guys find it attractive and appealing and, you know, it's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's respectful. You know, everybody knows our boundaries. I learned a long time ago you're allowed one look because you're human. But you don't double dip on the looks. You don't go back and look again. That's when you get a little in the Pervy Town. You don't want to go there, especially when you're with your kids. But uh, Comic Con was a ball. It was nice to see that.
0: I can't even afford a house in Pervy Town. I can't afford a house anywhere.
1: <laughs> I'm only renting. I don't own in Pervy Town. Please. I just visit. I, yeah. <laughs> I drive through with the windows down, the smell of popcorn and cotton candy. Oh, man, that's weird. It's been a long day, Matt. Please don't encourage me. <laughs> I could go off the rails any second around here.
0: Ah, <sighs> right there with you.
1: Yeah, buddy. So, you know, this story broke today when we were doing the afternoon show. I think it was afternoon. Yeah, I think it was. Um, Aaron Granillo came in with a story that the Seahawks and Geno Smith agreed to a deal. And this is, I think, great news for the Seahawks. Um, It's it's great news for Geno Smith. It's good news for the city of Seattle. You know, when when Russell Wilson left last year and Geno Smith was competing for the starting job, with Drew Locke, the guy we got in the trade with the Broncos, part of that massive trade that the Seahawks fleeced out the Bronco organization. And then the draft's coming up soon. We've got the number 5 pick overall, I think, our pick in the first round is like an 18, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Uh, feel free to text the show, 888 973 With every time I make a mistake tonight, please tell me. It's going to be a busy night for you guys at home, keeping me on under wraps here. Drinking game. Drinking game. Oh, my God. Don't start there. With, I don't want to kill anybody with alcohol poisoning. But when Geno Smith, you know, was given the right to compete for a starting job with a guy like Drew Locke, who was, by all accounts, the future of the Bronco organization when they drafted him, you know, uh, a lot of people didn't give Geno a chance. And Geno Smith was, you know, he came out of West Virginia, drafted by the New York Jets, and nothing but up up promise, nothing but upside. And Geno started for six years and then found his way to the bench. And he found his way to the Seahawks and became a, a reliable, steady backup quarterback in the NFL, spending six seasons on the Seahawk bench. So when the opportunity presented itself, Geno Smith, a, by this time, a career backup in the NFL, see, I'm talking about seizing the day. You know, uh, I was going to try to draw parallels between myself and Geno Smith, but I'm not that arrogant, but you know, I used to have a great radio gig. It was my my dream gig and through powers outside of my control, it was, it was kind of taken away. And you, you know, you you keep your head down and you you do the work, and you appreciate every chance you get to to sit in a chair or you get under center like Geno Smith has done. Learn the system. Learn where you can be a team player. Learn where you can be helpful. And if you play your cards right, maybe you get a shot at doing it again. Maybe you get a shot at being the guy. And who knows? You know, Jack Stein and I are doing twelve to three, and we're honored to have the opportunity to talk to this audience here at Cairo, and we're going to be doing it for next for a few more weeks. Cairo's got an impossible task ahead of us here, Cairo News Radio, you know, trying to fill the shoes and the seat and the microphone of the great Dory Monson, and I'm, I'm not. I mean, it's like from a football perspective, imagine trying to replace a six-foot-five drop-back pocket quarterback who's led the league in touchdowns and yards and so many Super Bowls, and then he's gone, and you got to replace him with some chubby kid who runs around a lot. You know, it might work. But give the kid a chance. That's all I'm saying. Geno Smith, when given the opportunity to come off the bench and win a starting job, not only did he win the starting job, Geno Smith earned himself a Pro Bowl berth this year. He was uh, le- he led the league in completion percentage. I got all the stats here. There's a great story at MyNorthwest.com, by the way. Thanks so much to our own Frank Summer for putting this story together. Oh, Brent Stickler, I'm sorry. Brent Steckler put this together for us editor of seattlesports.com it's on Seattle Sports 710 um, Gino had an amazing year in a year where he had no guarantees he was in the last year of his contract it was that like one of those situations where a guy rises to the moment you know and here's a whole city that really didn't have a lot of faith in Gino Smith you know a lot of people picked the Seahawks including myself to not do well it was our rebuilding year Russell was gone and I, I thought four or five wins, maybe, looking at the Hawks' schedule. And the Hawks probably should have done better than their 9-8 and eight record. They had a point in the midseason. They were 6-3 and three at one time, and then just kind of the wheels fell off down the stretch. And they were playing without a running game for a long time, and were, were, were relying completely on the passing game and Geno Smith. And despite all that, a Pro Bowl season, the NFL Comeback Player of the Year, and when his future was on the line, Geno Smith delivered. Delivered a season for the ages. Really, I mean, you know, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 4,200 yards passing, I think, if I got the, the details all correct. And he was a hot commodity on the NFL's free agent quarterback market. You know, and the, and the, the deadline for getting guys contracted, whether you put them under the franchise tag. You know, because Geno wanted a long-term contract. And the Hawks weren't sure. Gino is the solution, but not the long-term solution. It's not like they're going to draft a quarterback of the future. That's the Hawks' intention, and Gino knows that. But any good team will tell you when you draft the quarterback of the future, the worst thing you can do is throw him to the wolves from day one. Expect him to go out there and play, and not with no time to learn. Very few guys can do it. Russell Wilson did it. I'll give him credit where credit is due. When Russell Wilson was new to this team, he came out and earned a starting job over Matt Flynn. A veteran quarterback who had been brought in to take the team after Matt Hasselbeck, and Russell earned the job. And maybe the next quarterback the Hawks draft will do the same and win the job from Geno Smith. Who knows how things will play out? But it's so great to see a guy rise to the moment, you know, and be a, a great team player and lead by example and never get down and never bitch and moan about my chance this or my chance that. When the moment was given to Geno Smith, he he answered the bell. Led the Hawks to the playoff, won Comeback Player of the Year, won a Pro Bowl berth, and won himself a three-year contract worth $105 million. Geno Smith could make as much as $52 million this first season of his contract. Given the incentives and other opportunities to earn, his $35 million a year base salary for three years. The Hawks didn't have to tag Geno with a franchise tag to keep him from leaving town because he was sought after. He was, I think, the second most sought-after quarterback. Derek Carr, formerly of the Raiders. Signed a deal today with the Saints. I think his deal was worth $150 million with $100 million guaranteed. And Gina was kind of the next guy out there on the quarterback free agent market. And if you don't have the guy at quarterback, there's not much you can do in the NFL. Unless you've got kind of a lockdown defense. You know, when the, when the 49ers lost both their starting quarterbacks and young Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, the last guy taken in the draft, took that team deep into the playoffs. Finished strong, one of the strongest teams in the NFL. They did it on the strength of their defense, a lockdown defense. We did it here in Seattle with a defense that got better as the year went on, with a, a running game that started strong and finished strong, but mostly on the shoulder and back of Geno Smith. So it's so nice to see a guy get his moment and, and grasp, grasp that opportunity and get so much out of his opportunity. I'm, I couldn't be happier for Geno Smith than I am today he's a quarterback that you, I mean, who knows what next year will bring. Who knows if Gino will be able to replicate the numbers he put up this year, have the kind of year he had. I don't see why he wouldn't. You know, Gino surprised so many people, including me, because he hadn't had the opportunity. You're playing behind Russell Wilson. You're just happy to be a backup. Be there when the team needs you. Wait your turn. Learn the system. Learn the team. Knew the offense inside and out. One of the reasons he was, he won the job over Drew Lock was because he knew this offense cold. He knew every step of this, every play this offense has to offer. And it wasn't just a game manager. When the when the team needed him, he stepped up. Great passes. Yep, I'm i am love to see this kind of stuff. Could not be happier for Geno Smith. <sighs> yeah, I didn't really get a chance to talk about this afternoon, so I'm really glad you guys let me jump in there and dive in. And I mentioned CPAC with the people wearing costumes with their Lack, loss of grip of reality. I don't want to talk about politics tonight. We could, but I don't want to talk about politics tonight. There's a lot of stuff out there we could. I like this. I like we talk about music tonight. Something else we didn't get to do during the... When the sun is up, you know, it's a pretty button-down area of business around here at Cairo News Radio, you know? God, we got to talk about politics and local crime, and we got to talk about schools and all the other things at night. We can just have fun. Talk about music! I want to find out which came first: "Werewolves London" or "Sweet Home Alabama." See who ripped off who.
0: But here's the thing: the real criminal in the case of rip-offs, as far as those songs are concerned, is Kid Rock.
1: Oh my! Don't even. Oh, because I was like, in such took a good mood of those songs. I know, right? Oh, and mashed oh, them together. That "Sweet Home Alabama" all summer long. Yeah. That was an abomination. As almost as bad as the plane going down. No, don't say that, Spike. That's not right yeah that was that that made me made my stomach hurt kid rock Oof. I miss you buddy. good to see your face and hear your voice again man. You did a nice job last week by the way I'm proud of you. You always do. Uh, it's Kyra Knights I'm Spike you along with Matt Butler. When we come back we, we could we could talk a little politics if we have to. One thing I'm glad of is that uh, Gen Z doesn't care about driving they're driving less and less and less and as the uh, owner of a little Gen Z at my house, I'm happy to hear that. We'll be right back after these. Matthew, I appreciate you reminding me of this. We started the uh, show tonight. This Morrissey, this is Smiths from Morrissey.
0: Uh, this is the Smiths featuring <laughs> the guitar god Johnny Marr.
1: Yeah. Uh, Matt opened the show tonight with uh, "Sweet Home Alabama," and I got off on my the Warren Zevon tirade, and you know lost all sense of propriety there because Matt opened the show with Leonard Skinnerd because today we lost Gary Rossington, the last. Surviving original member of Leonard Skinner, guitar solos from Freebird, Sweet Home, Alabama. That was Gary Rossington survived the plane crash, survived 50 years plus of of the world after Skinnerd. So he will be missed. I actually saw Roston Collins when his uh, his band was after his post Skinnerd band. So thanks for uh, reminding me that I had forgotten to pay tribute to the late Gary Rossington. Died the day at seventy-one years of age. So that's why we started there. It's Kyra Knight. I'm Spike Neal, along with Matt Butler. So let's see if we can't get to the story I was going to talk about here. I'm kind of zipping around. You'll pardon my uh, my meandering today. It's been a long day, but that's no—that's not your fault. Not my fault. So I've got two kids. And there, I've got two only children, to be honest with you. Um, our, our two girls are 14 years apart in age. And our youngest was a surprise. Some might say an accident, but no, it was just, she was a surprise. We'd actually tried to have another child when our older was still a little kid. And we just couldn't, just wasn't in the cards, wasn't working out. Went to those doctors that help you conceive, you know, the, here's a magazine, here's a cup, there's a room, you know, let us know when you're done and we'll see, we can't put this all together with some scientific assistance. It just wasn't meant to be, didn't happen. And my wife and I tried for a few years to have our youngest and didn't happen. So we gave up. We figured we'd have the one child, we'd be empty nesters, you know, we'd be in our 40s, when our little one, when our, when our kid was off to college, it was, it was a great, you know, we were going to make the best of it. We had a wonderful child. Didn't need, didn't need a second one. That's when God gave us our younger daughter. As soon as you think you've got a handle on things, you know, God will show you what you don't know what you're talking about. Our youngest was born. Very different from our older child. Our older child was born pre social media. You know, our older daughter now is in her early 30s, living her life, doing great. And, of course, she has social media now, but she wasn't raised in the, in the stressful peer pressure world of social media. Not like my little one was. Our youngest was raised in the age of Instagram and TikTok and Pinterest and whatever other social media platform that all these kids communicate on. It became a blessing When COVID hit and the kids were all forced to go to remote learning and Zoom classes and different chat groups with teachers and fellow students, my kid was much more acclimated to adapt to the social media, social learning, long distance learning that COVID required than I ever would have been or her older sister would have been. She was already part of that generation. And that's different than her older sister. She, was, she had that built-in wiring for understanding how social media works and how to use that tool. And my older daughter, the day she turned 16, she was down getting her license. Couldn't wait to get behind the wheel. Couldn't wait for the independence that her license brings. All, all kids go through that. At least I did. I remember, I remember taking driver's ed in school when I was 15 and a half. The minute I was eligible, Old enough. Taking driver's ed, bugging my parents. Let me drive the car. Let me drive the store. Let me drive here. Let me drive there. Getting some time in. So the day you turned 16, you were down at the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles, or MVA, Motor Vehicle Administration, whatever you call it wherever you're from. Trying to get that license. I failed my first time trying to get my license. Had to wait another two weeks, go back and try it again. Passed the second time, got my license. Independence, there it was. You know, part of the American part of the American experience is the ability to... Get in a car and and drive. That's why there's so many great road songs. But Gen Z, this newest group of kids, a lot of them don't care about driving. A lot of them, they're, they're slower to pursue their license than generations previous.
0: You know what occurs to me, Spike, about this is you're right that there are a lot of great road songs there are not a lot of great public transit songs. And in fact, I was <laughs> racking my brain trying to think of one, and I came up, did come up with one that would be appropriate for Seattle, Casey Jones by The Grateful Dead.
1: Driving that train. Yeah, I yeah. own
0: cocaine. There you go. I mean, uh, that's perhaps uh, uh, apt for some of our public how about, transit um, around. How
1: now. about um, Have Mercy Been Waiting on the Bus All Day by ZZ Top?
0: There you go. There you
1: go. But you're right, though. They're few and far between.
0: One toke over the line because they're sitting downtown in a railway station. <laughs> All right, maybe there's a few more than I thought. But but but, still. but
1: it's not the the plethora of good driving songs, right? Highway, I mean, you name it, Highway Star. A- a- Rock and roll was built on the cars, car songs. I mean, built on it. But kids nowadays, they, you know, they're they're the Uber generation. You know? They're the Lyft generation. 20% a decrease from from 1983 to 2018, a, an eight, a 20% drop in the number of 16-year-olds who are getting their license. One in five kids. It's not just my kid. That, my kid still doesn't have, my younger, 19 now, still doesn't have their license. And that's, that's twofold. That's because they really didn't have a need to. COVID kind of took that. My kid went to driver's ed. Finished driver's ed with the intent of getting their license and then COVID hit and they closed down the Department of Motor Vehicles for, you know, better part of a year. And she wasn't going to school every day. Didn't get a chance to drive herself to school. Part of that ritual of the student parking lot, you know, where you pick up your friends on the way to school and you guys are all I mean as independent as can possibly be. My kid never got that experience. Doing part to COVID, but also doing part to the fact that I was happy to chauffeur my kid around. I was very lucky. Well, no, I was unemployed. I guess that's not really lucky. But the fact that I wasn't working every morning during the COVID break because my job at the time was shut down. I was working for an ad agency that had a bunch of clients who had to close their doors with COVID. So I was home to drive my kid to school every day. And I was lucky in that regard. I got to spend every morning taking my kid to school, something I'd missed During 25-plus years of morning radio, I'd never seen my my older kid off to school. And my my little one, my little one was 13 by the time I got to take them to school in the morning. So I really enjoyed the opportunity to get up and spend every morning with my younger daughter. The chance to, you know, how's your day going? What do you need for school? You got this? You got that? And and listening to music together, going, driving to school every morning, five days a week. And my kid never had the inkling to get her own license, still doesn't to this day. As a parent, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because, well, it's a pain in the butt to drive them everywhere and be the chauffeur. I'd still do it. I drove my kid to Comic-Con this weekend, had to pick her up when they were done, her and her friends. But it also, it, it kept her off the roads as a new driver. And I went through that once with my older kid, you know, get them their license and then every night you worry. Are they out doing stupid stuff, making mistakes? You know they are. That's what all kids do when they first get their license. They're out and do stupid stuff and make mistakes, right? So when my little one wasn't driving, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a chauffeur, and that's a pain in the butt. But at least I don't have to worry about her getting in an accident, being distracted. There's a story last week about how um, manual transmissions are making a comeback, much the way vinyl records are, right? They're trendy, again. But manuals are trendy. I made both my daughters learn to drive the car in a stick shift car. I made them. I think that kid driving a stick is much more in tune to the car itself. It takes two hands. It's impossible to look at your phone when you're driving if you're driving a stick. Hand on the wheel, hand on the stick, both feet at the same time. You're engaged with the engine. You're not just pressing a gas pedal and looking at your phone or yakking with your friends. My daughter knows how to drive a stick, just never got her license. Gen Z is one in five kids doesn't, I mean, well, it's, one of, it's a 20% drop-off. That's, that's the best way to frame that statistic. From 1983 till 2018, the number of 16-year-olds that get their license went from 81% to 61%. Only three out of five 16-year-olds get their license now when they turn 16. It used to be four out of five. Is the car song dead? Is the Uber song what's coming next? You know? Hey, Uber driver. Eyes up front. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's Cairo Knights, I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. We will be right back after these. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. You like uh, puns, Matt? From time to time. Are you a fan of the pun, the, the simplest form of humor?
0: From time to time, if it's a really good one.
1: I, I love this story because it's it's guys who have jobs that really aren't a lot of fun having fun with their jobs. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine life as a municipal worker, a guy who plows the streets in snowstorms or sucks the leaves out of storm drains. The, guy, the guys that keep us moving. When I say can't imagine myself like that because it's, it's hard work, first off, and I'm, I'm not built for hard work. I think we all can agree on that. It's, it's the kind of truck driving, real man backbreaking job. A lot of guys aren't built for. And this is a story out of uh, New Paltz, New York. And these guys take great pride in their municipal trucks, whether they're plowing streets or, or sucking the leaves out of gutters during storms so that streets don't flood and we can all get through to our homes and our jobs, our families. There's a truck named Forgetta Plow It. That's great. Well, these guys had a couple dozen Plows to name, and they had a public contest to help name our plows and our our various other municipal trucks, right? And the, the people came out of the woodwork. It was a great, cheap way to boost public appreciation of the municipal workers who keep their city moving, whether it's draining storm drains or you know clearing out debris or moving snow when the when the big storms hit. I love these names. These guys had two dozen different trucks to name. How about the big Laplowski, right? How could you not love that? How about, how about Jennifer Snowpez for a snowplow truck? That is, that is beautiful on so many levels. Uh, you've seen those trucks that, that drain the storm drains, right? The ones that suck all the, because, I mean, leaves fall and they get washed in and pipes clogged. Next thing you know, there's two, three foot of standing water at a major intersection. And that's just not inconvenient. That's dangerous. How about the "It's draining men"? Hallelujah! Make America great. Make America great again. G R A T E. Drain the block Johnson. Uh, maybe maybe I'm just sleep deprived. So, <laughs> but I think these are fantastic. Control salt delete. That's a nice one. <laughs> Truck Norris, how could you not get behind a guy with a truck out there that said Truck Norris does not fear of snow? Beautiful. Oh, there's a town in Baltimore on the Patapsco River called Gwynns Falls. So they've got uh, Gwenda the Good Wheel of the West, little spin on the Wizard of Oz there. How about Sweeping Beauty Broom James in Cleveland, Ohio? Broom James. Bike Dyson, Sweeping Beauty. These are great. Remember that there was a thing over in the UK where they had to the name a tugboat, and somebody put in Bodie McBoatface as the name of the tugboat, and it won. Like twenty four thousand different names, and Bodie McBoatface won.
0: The UK loves this stuff. Uh, it's seriously, like that obsession with the Christmas number one record. Oh right, right, right. They they really get into the spirit of these things.
1: <laughs> How about a snowplow called Skid Vicious? <laughs>
0: <Right? I love laughs> Isn't that great?
1: <laughs> I know, right? I, I, see, what it not only is it fun, it's lighthearted, you know. And this, again, these are thankless jobs. It rallies the community about noticing these guys who do the municipal service work that keep us on the roads and keep our roads clear and safe. It, it what a great way to acknowledge their work and have a little fun with it. at once. Um, One, one winner. For a a snowplow in Minnesota, Blizzo,
0: right? Well, for Minnesota, that's an obvious. That's isn't that great. Perfect.
1: (laughs) How about Cleopatra for a snowplow? (laughs) Hans Snowlow made the top five. But this one I say for last because I know this one. You this is I know this one's gonna be your favorite. It's a snowplow and street salter. Better call salt. (laughs) <laughs> right? Ha. <laughs> I know, love right? That. I I love when people get creative with and these are little silly stuff, right? But it makes people smile. You're driving down the road and it's snowy and the plows are out, and you're not having fun. And you see Better Call Salt on the front of the plow truck. It just puts a smile on your face and the truck makes sure you get home that night. Little things like that, man, can just make your day.
0: The best part is that nobody can politicize that.
1: No, that was not an invitation. No, it's Matt's right. This is above the fray of division. Sweet Child of Brine, (laughs) isn't? They might need that in L.A. They had snow in L.A. like tons of snow in in the California mountains, like twelve foot of snow in the California mountains, and snow fell on the Hollywood sign. If you got a snow assault truck in L.A., it should be called Sweet Child of Brine. It's Cairo Nights. We're going to play some of the stuff we went through this afternoon. With Jack Stein and I at the 12 to 5 show. And then with Sherry Elker doing the John Curley show. We hope you enjoy it. You guys have a wonderful night. I'll be, we'll be back in a little bit.